Lorena Montoya, and today we'll be getting to know what my co-host, Jose Patiño. We're going to get a little bit to the behind of the scenes, who he is, and things that he haven't tell us. So, Jose Patiño, I know you have thousands and thousands of nicknames. Why don't you tell <laughs> us and start us telling us all your nicknames and where they come from? Um, so, yeah, my... My first nickname that I can think of is Rafita, and it comes because my middle name is Rafael, and my dad's name is Rafael, so I was the little one, so they called me Rafita. And then as I got older uh, and taller, they started calling me Rafa because I wasn't short anymore. Uh, and then I'm called uh, Pato, uh, or Duck. Quack, quack. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, how I walk, sometimes it looks like a duck. And I call patas just because I used to I used to be very athletic and run a lot, so people just call me patas or patitas, which is little feet, right? Yeah, <laughs> which oh yeah, and then also uh, petunia, uh, uh, yeah, petunia, uh, patty cakes, <laughs> patty patty cakes. Yeah. Okay, I won't bully you. <laughs> and uh, and then Joe, uh, because people didn't like want, want to say Jose. No way, Jose! <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think those things those are it. Yeah. That, that's it. Just that. <laughs> I yeah. think how many I should have been keeping count and tally of it. But in all seriousness, um, besides your nicknames, we know that you are more than that, more than a voice behind our podcast. So tell us a little bit from your perspective. Who is Jose Patiño? I think Jose Patiño is complex human being. I think like all of us are. Um, trying to figure out my place in the world, uh, doing the best that I can, uh, make a lot of mistakes. So, uh, done some good, some bad. Hopefully, more good than bad. I'm very passionate about immigration, education, and just um, the the economy. Just making sure that people have a better quality of life. Um, I like anime a lot. I like watching cartoons. I'm a big sports fan especially local sports. Uh, and I'm a big history buff. I like watching just history uh, and reading about it and learning. Uh, I like to work out when I can. I like to stay active. I like to take walks. I take walks during the day and just walk around. It's really hot so <laughs> uh, right now, so it's harder to walk but because you sweat a lot. Uh, but, yeah, that's what I like to do. Um, it's to spend time with my family, uh, time with my little dog, Zero. Uh, I want I wanted to get cooler so I can go to the park and just play catch and stuff like that. Uh, and then I would like to travel. I don't travel as much as I would like. So a little bit about your family. Can you tell us a little bit more about your upbringings? You said that you are one of the youngest. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So uh, I'm in Coyote, like the little one. That's what they call it in, in where I'm from. Uh, I'm the youngest of four. Uh, there's my older brother and then my two older sisters, my mom and my dad. And, and that's my nuclear family. And then there's my grandpa, my grandparents in Mexico. and have cousins here and in Mexico and aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. And then tell us a little bit about your grandpa. Or, you, or you're both grandpas. Like, what are some of the things that you admire or that you like about them? Well, both of my grandpas are, are really hardworking. Um, I, I think that's... That, that, sort of has filtered into me. I'm not as hardworking as they are, obviously. Um, but my, my grandpas, they're in their 70s, I think 77 and 78. Uh, actually, both of them were good friends growing up. 
um, because it's a small town of about 100 people, so they knew each other. Mm -hmm. And actually, both of them coveted the same woman. Ooh. Uh, Telenovela status. Yeah, so there's like, (laughs) there's some history there. I I really don't want to get into it. But there's some history. There's like, I think my grandma on my dad's side, like my grandpa on my mom's side. And it was some 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 stuff happened there, but they're really good friends now. <laughs> um, my my grandpa, my his name is Juan. On my dad's side, he suffers from Parkinson's disease. Uh, so, and then he had about um, ten years ago, he injured his hip, so he has trouble walking. Uh, he's a really good singer too, especially uh, corridos, and he's a really good storyteller. He's like I had the privilege to hear him sing, and he has a beautiful voice. Why didn't you get those jeans, Jose? I don't know what happened. I got my mom's jeans, I think, in terms of thinking. But you uh, got the hardworking yeah. spirit from both of them, correct? Yeah, and then my grandpa, my mom's side, he's very active. He's on his bicycle, working every day at dawn. And he's just either walking the, the, the sheep uh, or in the harvest. It's he Both of them inspire um, in the work that they put in day in, day out at their age. Uh, for us to uh, as an example. So for people that know Patino or Jose, we know that he's a political junkie, AAK political man. But can you please tell us a little bit more about how you first got politically involved or active? Tell us when it was 800 years ago. I'm just kidding. Go for it, Jose. <laughs> uh, well, I got first involved in 2006. Uh, and it was because of the big immigration marches here in, in Arizona, I think nationwide. And it was, one of them was the Census Burner Bill uh, that was introduced, which would, one of, a couple of things that it would do, it would make it illegal for businesses to rent out to people who were undocumented or if you were driving somebody was undocumented, you could be pulled over. So it was it was just nationwide criminalized immigrants. And that got us really scared in my household. And my mom, my dad, my sisters, and all of us were like, we're gonna go march. Uh, and we actually went to this big march on in, in, in Phoenix, in downtown Phoenix. It was 24th Street in McDowell. And then we marched from the church to John Kyle's office, at that time, the center of Arizona, asking him to, to borrow on the bill. Uh, and that was my big awakening because then I saw it at school when I came back, everybody was talking about it. Even the teachers were talking about it. And it just became a huge uh, moment where it was like from, I was called to do something. I felt like I couldn't stay quiet. So let's go back in that time. How old were you? And also bring us to the moment that I know that you're super politically savvy and you know all the amendments. But at that moment, like, did you know about this? Did, uh, why did you decide to march? Um, so I was, I think I was 17 years old. And I this, I saw it on the news at first. And then I heard some of my friends talking about it. And then I started to do more research on, uh, on it. And I just read the summary of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that time, it was a lot of hostility that I felt. It was something that was brewing. Uh, I remember my younger years uh, and before 1996 election. And I remember how it was very like there was this you wouldn't you wouldn't say you were undocumented or it was just a lot of sentiment against Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wouldn't call us undocumented; they would call us wetbacks. I remember that was the thing they would call me all the time at school. My class would call me wetbacks. Some of the teachers would call us wetbacks. Uh, 
So I just mm. remember that growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that happened in elementary all the way to middle school. Mm-hmm. And then after like, after the 2000s, it started to slow down. And then it came up again in, in 2006. That's when I remember. And then looking back now, it was a lot of things that were happening nationally when they were trying to do immigration reform. Um, and then they were trying to build uh, the fence down at the border. So now I understand more context what it was happening, but that's just how I saw it then. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And fast forward after your high school years, um, I know that you got involved with the DREAM Act in 2010. I was not stalking you, but saying on your Facebook post today, we're recording on a Tuesday, which is Arizona primaries. And you said that your first like electoral campaign was in 2010. Tell us about 2010 and like how old were you and what that moment meant for you? Um, I was 21 years old and I got involved in the Randy Parras for US Senate campaign. He was actually running in the Democratic primary mm-hmm. to then hopefully run again John McCain. And and Randy Parras is a local person here in politics. And he's very sort of like an Obama-like figure. He's very well-spoken and, and, and captivates a room. And at that time, it was we were it was after SB 1070. Uh, I was there at the Capitol when it was signed the night before. And I just saw those emotions. And I was really frustrated. My mom was really scared. I remember my family having plans, hey, this is what we're going to do when we move to New Mexico. And coming, like, all those things. So, so pause th- there for our younger audience. You s- mentioned SB 1070, and you mentioned your mom being scared. Why were you were scared of, and why were you thinking about moving to New Mexico? Well, we were thinking of moving to New Mexico because my mom was afraid that um, me or my siblings or her and my dad, either or, uh, we were going to get pulled over and ultimately be in detention and then get deported. Uh, I didn't fear that, but they did. Uh, I was more angry then. So I was, I was too angry to, to feel fear. Hmm. Um, so I th- that's what, to me, I, if looking back, that's been a lot of it. Uh, a lot of times people ask me, why weren't you afraid? And I was like, I was just too angry to feel fear. Hmm. Um, and that was my, my, a lot of my big motivation. And I think... Uh, since I, I roughed people the wrong way and I probably would have uh, carried myself better with others specifically at that time um, because not all of us understood what was going on politically or difficulties other people had in their lives. And I think my anger kind of uh, blocked me from being empathetic with others. Hmm. So now let's fast forward, Jose. We are in 2018. Why are you still politically involved? Um, well, I wanted to get away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when? Tell us how. Why? <laughs> uh, in 2014, I joined Teach for America to become a teacher. I was just tired of the hypocrisy within the immigrant rights movement. Um, like, I understand. I understand the hypocrisy and the, just the politics of it in terms of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, and even within Latino champions. But I could not stand and be in the same room with people who said they were our champions. And did opposite things, or where we wouldn't even hold our own values within our own people, within our own organizations. So I was just really tired of that. Uh, and for me, it was like one of the best places I could go back is be a teacher because a lot of the mentors and, and leaders that I saw were in the classroom. Uh, some of my teachers who just helped me and my, my classmates uh, pursue our education, pursue our dreams, and overcome things that we were, we were facing outside of the school and inside the school. 
And also the injustices you face, right, from being called a wetback by some of your teachers. So that dichotomy of having really good, positive role models, but at the same time, other role models that probably were really harmful to you. Yeah, I think uh, I wanted to do good. And I think my, my and I always believe that people are good at the center. So my thinking is maybe they those and teachers didn't know uh, the impact that their words would have on me. Uh, because one of those teachers who kind of like signaled me out for speaking Spanish in the classroom and got me in trouble, I'm in the seventh grade. In the eighth grade, she was the one who got me into a program at AUCU. Uh, she was the one who got me into honors classes. Uh, so I, I saw that as well. Uh, I think for me, it's a, like, there's a lot of ignorance, lack of education that goes on. And if we just take one thing that is said to us and, and we just define that person by it, I think we would do a disservice to us and to them as well. In politics, community organizing, and in society in general, we live in a very man-dominant world, at least here within the U.S., and you are a cisgender man, so we would love to hear your thoughts about toxic masculinity. I know that that term gets thrown off here and there, but let's bring it really, really here to our audience as an example. I have had the privilege and honor to share many spaces with you. And in one occasion, I remember we were in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and this politician that I'm not going to name his name, uh, I pretty much, we were having a conversation on immigration during the 2013 fight, and I remember saying something. I don't even remember what I said, but I remember saying something, and he, the guy completely ignored me, and then you just repeated exactly what I said, and he what, he thought that it was the most brilliant idea. <laughs> so that's how I would dis describe in a microscopic way what what are the impacts of toxic masculinity. So from your perspective, in just not only in politics, but also just walking and being a man uh, in this world, and especially in community organizing and all the spaces that you have shared as a teacher, how do you see your role within that? Um, I think there's a lot of privilege, and I have seen. Uh, and it's it's been up to recently in the last couple of years that I've re really reflected on it um, because for the longest time I think I focused on other things that were hurting me or they were I was a disadvantage and now I've been reflecting more on the privileges that I have and how I use them yeah so in the classroom I remember there's a lot of privileges that I saw uh, with the students even how the other teachers mostly women were, were uh, interact with me uh, at my home specifically how my sisters wouldn't be allowed to go out or wouldn't allowed to wear uh, pants that was a big thing they wouldn't wear pants it was always dresses mm. or wouldn't be able to allow to makeup and that to be home a certain time and I remember my sister uh, missing uh, her eighth grade promotion because my dad was like I'm not gonna go and I'm not gonna take you so I remember like those things. And for me, when I was a little kid, I, I would remember that I wouldn't necessarily have a time to come in home. Like uh, a curfew. I didn't have a curfew. And I remember like, I mean like 13, 14 years old, I would be out and come home like at 2 or 3 a.m. with my brother and wouldn't necessarily get punished for that. Um, so it just like those things um, where we just had more freedom. And even like, even like now it's really weird because um, how like women, like my mom always like wants to serve me. But my sisters know they serve themselves. 
You mean in food or what? In food. Yeah, just oh. when they get food. Like, you know, when they get a party, oh, like, hey, why don't you get Rafita a dish? Why don't you get Rafita this? And I'm like, okay. So I have to more actively have to go get the food or even clean my plate. And I think you do a good job to remind me, you know, your parents' house. Uh, so then we can be more, yeah, because I have to do the dishes. Like, so the agreement that I have. So those things, I think, have helped on the my personal side. Uh, and the workplace... Uh, I see it because in the community organizing and there's mostly women. Uh, the movements are led by women uh, and uh, queer folk and people at the LGBT community, specifically on immigration, uh, specifically like the dreamer narrative. It's always been led by, by those folks. Um, so I've seen it, but there's a lot of privilege specifically when you get into uh, anybody position of power, either in an institution um, or at the political space where your voice gets magnified. Uh, where it's easier for me to build relationships with staffers than, say, for example, for you, specifically male staffers. Uh, where they would uh, say certain, like, they would tell me certain things that they wouldn't tell you in confidence. Uh, and I remember, like, actually, like, two days ago, I just told you something, and you were, like, upset because you didn't know that was actually happening. Okay, Jose, we want to care about your thoughts, not necessarily about me. So, based as you're processing all these things, which is, I think it's great examples, how have you taken responsibility as a man um, of ensuring that, for example, voices, not only of my voice, but other voices of women actually get the credit that they deserve? Um, I don't think I've done a good enough job um, because, well, I haven't seen the change myself. Um, in the spaces I try to bring, like if I say something that is not my idea, I'll say I'll give credit to the person who said it, specifically if it's a woman, right? Uh, try to bring spaces bring other girls into it. So it's not just me who's meeting with these folks. So they don't think it's just me, the one doing all that work. Um, I see this as a long-term, just because it's so embedded within society and it's so embedded within uh, men and women as well. And I just have a lot of conversations, specifically when I was in, in loan, I was a, a mortgage banker. And it was just the conversations, how men would carry themselves and the culture that existed. It's really entrenched. Uh, and it's gonna take a long time. It's also because it gives women certain men certain power over women, and I don't think that we're gonna be willing to do it willingly. Uh, we're gonna be forced to, and I think women are gonna need allies. Uh, so for me, it's like, how can I be a better ally? Uh, because we just we have to have some sort of quality that is like we can continue the system that we have because this is not good for 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 young girls, young men. It's not good. It's not sustainable. So, if you could tell your younger version of yourself as a, as a young little patino, as a little kid, maybe five, six years old, um, what would you tell yourself? I would tell myself to be, um, listen more, listen more to the things that my friends who were girls would say to me, uh, and I should have more courage to act. Hmm. Um, I do remember like, having conversations with uh, with boys all the time and how they would speak uh, of girls. I wish I would have more courage to talk within those spaces. And even when I did speak and be like, this is not how you're supposed to treat a woman, because uh, just continue that and don't and don't don't give up or don't stay quiet just because you're the only one in a, in a room of 20. Um, I wish I would have done that because I think a lot of people, now that I'm getting older, people are afraid. They're afraid to speak up. They're afraid to take the bullet. Even in these circles, I've seen a lot where I kind of like take a lot of bullets for, for men's toxicity. Uh, maybe I'm, I am doing more than I think I am. 
but it just seems that like our people are, are willing to take responsibility for their own actions and things that they do um, unconsciously they just do self sorry subconsciously um so it's just for me how to be more of a an actual ally and fight because that's what i would like people to do in terms of immigrants and people who are less fortunate right mm -hmm. so how do i want people to support me i should be the one supporting like that so i'm trying to do that i'm not all the way there um i'm getting there i think hopefully <laughs> but i'm not there Thank you so much for being so vulnerable and sharing about your process through the through these lenses. Um, and then I think that within all these things, as you said, you describe yourself as someone who's trying to do your best, who wants to do good in the world, in the world, but you're not quite there, right? It's a journey. So as you're going through this journey through ups and downs in life, what gives you hope to carry on and continue to keep pushing forward? Um. When the times of need and really dark, I always reflect to the learnings of my mom and my family and my loved ones uh, who have been there with me at my lowest points. Uh, and then just seeing their support. Uh, and then also when uh, I think humans overall are, are capable of doing good things and, and create uh, great things. Um, I think our fears, our anxieties, uh, our uncertainties, uh, most most of the time force us to do make wrong choices or bad choices. Uh, so for me, is that the ability for us to create something better, kind of like my belief as a kid that like, I watch a lot of cartoons, is that <laughs> if you're able to like you can get there, it's gonna be a struggle, but we can get there to where we want to be, as where everybody has an equal place in the world where suffering happens but it's minimal you don't suffer from the necessities of food or shelter um, those things I would like to work towards um, so I, hopefully I can, we can get there uh, and that gives me hope that we can create something like that thank you so much Jose, for sharing your thoughts, for sharing a little bit about who you are, or should I call you Patitas, Petunia, Pato, <laughs> and your multiple nicknames, and just being able to share a little bit about who you are, and really allowing the audience to know a little bit more who's behind Alientos Podcast. Is there anything else that you would like to share, or any last words for our audience who are tuning in and then before that I want to give a big shout out to our Instagram following at Aliento AC I, we put a little poll to ask uh, what topic they would like to hear on our next podcast and you by a great demand were the choice number one so that's why we're interviewing you so shout out to our Instagram followers if you're not on our social media make sure you're following us at Aliento AC and maybe you get to vote on our next podcast episode so yeah any last words Jose for our audience or anything that I didn't ask you or you would like to share uh, I think the last thing is to remain hopeful and in the the precipice uh, of uncertainty I think we need to remain um, humans as much as we can and see the humanity in others specifically those who disagree with us and what we believe 
Uh, I think there's a reason what they got there and what they're there in that position or, or in that place. And if I think we're able to see their humanity and treat them as humans, I think we can get uh, to understand why they're there and hopefully uh, get them to understand why are we fighting for the things that we're fighting for in terms of the, the rights of immigrants, in terms of the rights of women, of migrants, and all those things, and environmental. Uh, I think we can get there. It's just going to be hard. And I know it's difficult specifically to ask the people who continue to fight for justice and fight for, for all these things to keep searching and reaching out that hand uh, after some years and decades and centuries of just punishment and uh, damage that have been inflicted upon us. Uh, but I think that's the, the only way we're going to actually heal and get better. Um, and I think that takes more strength than to, to divide um, so I think that's what we need to do. Thank you, Jose, once again for sharing your thoughts with us and sharing a little bit about who you are. We want to thank you for joining us today as a participant and a guest in, an, in the Alienta podcast. We are encouraging everybody in the audience to send a to, to send uh, the word art heals. One word art heals. If it autocorrects, make sure you make it into one and text that word to the number 33222. Once again, 33222. The word art heals. So then you can receive the latest updates about our newest episodes. We are on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Voice. So make sure that you tune in and you are tuning into our next episode so thank you so much for joining in and as jose said let's make sure that we are honoring everybody's humanity and in the process that we don't lose ours thank you so much and i hope you all have a great day bye, bye.